at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the mountain with a staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. In Exodus 18, 13 to 23, I read, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me and, decide, and I decide between one person and another and make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of the thousands, of the hundreds, of the fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. But any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. We are continuing our series in the Old Testament and making the journey through, and we've seen a lot of things that have been taking place in the history of mankind to this point. 
We see creation, we see the flood, we see Abraham, uh, we see uh, the people of Israel uh, going into captivity, and now they are leaving Egypt and going toward the promised land, and we see a real focus in this passage on leadership. And I was researching a bit on leadership, and I was looking in Amazon, there are over 70,000 books on leadership alone. Now, obviously, Moses here did not have access to these books when he embarked on his journey with Israel toward the Promised Land. He was dependent upon the Lord to teach him along the way. But he did have a base for his understanding in regard to leadership. He had learned some things in the past that helped him be a better leader as he led these people. And I'm not talking about his time in Pharaoh's courts for 40 years as he learned under the Pharaoh. I'm talking rather about the time he spent as a shepherd in the wilderness of Horeb. Because throughout the Bible, the animal that the people of God are compared to the most often are sheep. And so, Moses' life as a shepherd had prepared him to lead the nearly two million people uh, of Israel there. And as we look at our text today, we're going to be looking at the aspect of leadership. I'm going to look at four different aspects that I see here in this text that will help us get our minds around leadership. And I'm not talking specifically about the pastor, the staff, the deacons, because all of you at some time or another are going to be leaders or have been leaders. Because all a leader is is somebody who's leading the person that knows a little less than they do right behind them. And so the first lesson we see on leadership is when the shepherd weakens, the wolf strikes the flock. Many of us can think of how churches um, have been negatively negatively affected uh, because of the weakness of a particular pastor, a youth leader, or a ministry head. And it seems like the bigger the congregation, the harder the fall. And speaking of big congregations, Moses here is leading millions, not just hundreds, Uh, in this land. But he knew about protecting the flock because of his life as a shepherd. And there were many predators that were out there to attack the sheep. And today we see one such predator. Amalek is there to attack the weak ones who are lagging behind. In Deuteronomy 25, 18, it tells us the purpose, looking back in history here, it says how he, Amalek, attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind, and he did not fear God. And so this is just like the wolf, to attack the weak ones in the flock, the weak and sick. And so what Moses does is he rallies the people to fight against the Amalekites. And during the battle, he goes up on this hill that overlooks the battleground. And he's holding up this rod that God had told him was the staff of the Lord. And the comical part to me is, I wonder when he discovers that the success of the army is dependent on him holding up the staff. It'd kind of be like a football game, right? If Moses is up there in the broadcast booth and he's holding up the rod and then the Israelites score a touchdown and he gets tired and lowers it down and the Amalekites uh, get an interception. And so, here, obviously, it's much more serious than just a football game. Men are losing their lives down on the field of battle. But Moses, being 80 years old at this point, he could not hold up his arms all day long, although I'm sure he wanted to. He wanted to lift up the Lord 
in that moment so that they could win that battle. And this is where a little help from his friends came in handy. Because Aaron and her are right there. They're there giving direction to those who are running back and forth uh, onto the field, giving direction to Joshua, who's down fighting in the valley. And they're watching this battle. And when they realize that God is fighting for them, because Moses is holding up the staff of the Lord, they figure, you know, the best strategy that we have is to help him hold up his arms. And so they seat Moses down on this stone, and they get on either side of him, and they help him hold up the staff of the Lord. In preparation for this message, I was reading some articles online about those uh, who had fallen as pastors. And many of the articles that I read were written by those who had been affected, congregation members who had been in that congregation when the fall had taken place. And they had become alienated from the congregations. They had left them many times in hurt, wounded. And in most cases, what had happened was that the pastor had become so lifted up, so alienated from his congregation, so alienated from the support that he needed, that he grew weary in lifting up the Lord week after week after week. And so they became easy prey for Satan. And the saddest part about the stories that I read in regard to the moral weaknesses is how they wreaked havoc on all those around them, as well as themselves and their families. And so many became casualties in the battle against Satan due to the weakness of the leader. Some had entirely walked away from the faith. The ultimate goal of the Amalekites was to wipe Israel from the map. And they still remember back to the time in history when Abraham and the other kings had joined together and battled against the Amalekites. And so they knew that God was on their side. Here comes Israel, much stronger than they were back in those times of Abraham with two million people. And so they were scared of Israel. And in the same way, Satan wants to wipe us from the face of the map, although he is scared as well. He's scared of a united congregation. He's scared of those who would come together and lift up their leaders and help them in lifting up the Lord. And so it's a fearful sight when we stand under the banner of Jesus in order to attack the enemy. The second lesson I see here in this text today is that leaders need to be supported, and this is the importance of the sheepdog. My favorite movie of all time is the movie Babe, <laughs> and it's the story of a little pig that becomes a sheep herder. And the movie depicts the life of a shepherd and his dependence upon the sheepdogs. The shepherd is not fast enough to accomplish the work that needs to get done on the farm. He's not able to get out and to round up these sheep. He's not able to fight off the predators like the sheepdog can. And so he needs the support of that trusty sheepdog, or in this case, sheep pig. Moses could not lead millions successfully on his own, as it seems like he was trying to do. In chapter 18, the entire nation arrives at Moses' father-in-law's place. And just note to you husbands, don't show up with all your relatives at your in-laws there. But Jethro is a wise man. What he does is he goes out to observe his son-in-law. And he's looking at the way that he's leading the people of Israel. 
And at first he keeps his opinion to himself, and he's looking for an opportune time to be able to give some advice to his son-in-law Moses. And that opportune time comes when Moses comes back in from judging all the people from morning until night, and he's weary and tired, and he says, what you are doing here is not good, Moses. And this is very common with many leaders. They want to take everything on for themselves. They feel like all the work of the congregation they need to be involved with. But we know that leaders in the church are not superheroes. And I'm so thankful for the team of leaders that we have here at Elam. And we have a wonderful dedicated staff that lift each other each other up every single week. We have staff meetings, we pray for one another, we try to support one another in the works that are going on. And we too as a congregation need to step up and help out those who are weary. If you want an example, Denise obviously is very tired. You know, this has been a very busy uh, one month. She does more in this month, I think, than her entire year otherwise in regard to children's ministry. And honestly, I'm very worried for some of the men that I graduated with in seminary because some of the congregations that hire the pastor then sigh in relief, phew, the pastor's here, now he can do all the work and we don't have to do it anymore. And that's not the case. Imagine the shepherd without the help of the sheepdog. How long do you think he would last in doing the work? How long do you think the sheep would last and the advice that Jethro uh, gives to Moses here was for him to handle the most pressing things, the most important matters, but then to delegate the other things to those who were under him, handling some of those day-to-day -day issues that came up between the people. And so the most important thing for your spiritual leaders here at Elam to be doing is preaching, teaching, and praying. Those are the three most important things. Studying the Bible, helping digest that, giving that back to the people, praying for the congregation. But there are so many more things that happen here at Elam that could be handled by the congregation members. And that's you. Each of you has a role to play in the congregation here. And notice here in the situation with Moses that there was a designation of leaders of thousands, leaders of uh, hundreds, fifties, tens. And you might just be one of the leaders of tens, a couple people that you're helping lead in a particular situation or a task. The third lesson of leadership that I see here is that a key part of leadership is recognizing those who will succeed you. Uh, one of the greatest joys that I've had in my life as a pastor is interacting with young men who are making the transition from boyhood into adult life. And I think the reason that I'm so interested in that period is that I didn't have somebody to help me walk through that period of my own life as I became a man. And it wasn't until I was in my mid-twenties that I began to learn about what a real man was. Each of my own three boys have become men or are becoming men now. Peter's a helicopter repair specialist over in Germany. Elijah's focused on his future in California. And Seth is uh, going to outgrow me probably this year with a 13-size foot. And uh, he just got back from working on the road for two weeks, uh, traveling around doing a job. And so I see each of them transitioning into manhood. And I know that someday in the near future, they will most likely be married, have their own families. 
And my hope is that they become the kind of leaders that Moses talks about here. Lifting up the Lord. Lifting up the Lord in the battle. And Moses was looking also for his successor. And he found him in Joshua. Joshua was always nearby, always learning, right outside the tent of meeting, while Moses was meeting with God. And in fact, Moses didn't even get to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. He got to see it. And what that shows me is many times as we pour our lives into young people, we may not see the glory days. We may not see the increase. It may be for us to pass on to the next generation and for them to see the increase. I think of John Piper. John Piper is a pastor's kid, and his dad didn't have a big, huge church, didn't have a big, huge ministry, but he poured his life into his children, and John reaped the benefit of that and has led thousands and impacted millions with his writings and his online presence. And so, too, as we look around us, we can see those who are coming up behind us. And I would encourage you not to withhold that word that you need to give to them. You don't know what kind of impact that will make when you look at somebody and you say, you know, I see you as a leader of the church. I see you as a leader in this area. I see God using you. I see the future that you have before the Lord. Because each one of us, as we look back at our own lives, we can remember key times when people spoke into our lives when they saw something within us that we couldn't see within ourselves. And each one of us need that. I think of the kids at my father's home. What would have happened if they would have continued to receive message after message that we don't want you, we're going to stone you, we want you away from our lives? Where instead they were brought into a place where they were affirmed and their gifting was encouraged. And each one of us continued to need that. Listen to the uh, command here that Paul gives to his student pastor, Timothy. He says, first of all, then I urge supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and who are all and who are in high position, that we may lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. And so we see the fourth lesson here is that proper leadership has peace as its goal. When leadership is taking place in a healthy way, this results in peace in the lives of the people who are being led. Our lives have a quietness and a dignity about them when we are being led well. And this is ultimately the goal that God had for the people of Israel as he brought them into the promised land. He wanted them to be able to live in peace. One of the greatest detriments to a nation comes from bad leadership. Laws are being made that are opposite of God's laws, that are bringing turmoil, unrest, guilt, and shame. Listen to what Jethro Jethro tells Moses regarding the results of implementing wise governmental practices in uh, Exodus 18.23. He says, if you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place of peace. But also recognize here that he said, you cannot do this alone. It's too heavy for you. And it's thinking back to the battle, the staff was too heavy. Lifting up the Lord all the time by yourself is too heavy for you. 
You can't do it alone. You need people to come behind you. And so as we work as a team here in the local congregation, there's a peace that God wants to bring to the lives of the people that come in here. And so we're not lifting up ourselves. We're not lifting up the pastor. We're not lifting up a particular leader. We are lifting up the king of kings, and he comes to grant us that peace that we desire so much in our lives. In conclusion this morning, if you want to see a funny sight sometime, come over to my house and watch me watch Babe, the movie. It never fails. By the time the movie's over, I'm a blubbering mess in my chair there, crying and you know, sniveling. And the reason is, is because in the final scene of the story of Babe here, uh, he becomes such a good sheep herder that uh, instead of being intimidating uh, to the sheep by biting them or barking at them, uh, Babe realizes as a pig that he doesn't have that. He doesn't really have teeth in his mouth that much to bite the sheep. And so he begins to negotiate with them. And they begin to follow him, you know, just at his request. And so what happens is Hoggett, the, the um, uh, sheep herder guy, he decides, I'm going to enter Babe into the national competition for sheep herding dogs. And so when he shows up on the field, at first everybody's laughing, they're mocking, they're booing him. And then he comes out and the whole place goes silent when suddenly Babe starts to lead these sheep in perfect order, separating the white from the black, putting them in the pen, closing the door. And then as he does that, the whole place erupts, you know, in cheering. And Hoggett, who was just a quiet man in this last moment, he looks down at his sheep babe and he says, that'll do, pig, that'll do. And the reason that hits me is because babe was a very unlikely sheep herder. (laughs) And I am a very unlikely pastor. Many of you are very unlikely leaders. And yet God, because of the grace that he's given us, when he looks down at us and we are trying to work hard in that leadership position that he's put us in, as unnatural as it may feel, I can hear him saying those same words as well. That'll do, Scott. That'll do. And for you too as well, with a little help from our friends. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the grace that you've given us and for the help that you've given us in the tasks of leadership. Lord, help us to have eyes to see uh, those needs around us and to lift one another's arms up when we're weary in lifting up uh, your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.